0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me today on the Class War Battlefield Podcast. Please do me the honor of supporting this work that I am doing. I've been doing this work now for free on your behalf for, my God, 11 years. 5, 10, 20, 50. If you can afford it, please do. Cash at me at dollar sign CWB Podcast. CWB podcast cash app it cwb podcast also also hit me up on paypal cwb podcast all the way across the board y'all help me out help me out help me out thank you for donating and enjoy the show The definition
1: definition. definition. Welcome everybody. I mix what I like right here at Black Power Media. Again, I'm Jared Ball. Happy to be your host. Messing up all day this morning, but joined happily by Drs. Todd Stephen Burroughs, Lynn Washington Jr. for another discussion of Mumia Abu Jamal. Uh, in the broader context in which we find ourselves in the latest piece linked in the show description referring to the sickening similarities in the police violence against Mumia and Tyree Nichols. Uh, Brothers Washington Burroughs, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Good to see you both again. You know, I I, I love that we get to hang out a little bit every once in a while like this, uh, always unfortunately uh, under some negative auspice right but but that said you've written a really powerful piece here um already again linked in the show description uh sickening similarities in police assaults evidence resilience of racism uh so, i'm sorry sickening similarities in police assaults evidence resilience of racism so um I'll, I'll pull it up here for us to look at, but, but if you would, let me just ask you to start off with a, a brief overview of what you, what you're doing here. And then, uh, we can get into some of the details. And of course you include an excerpt from, uh, Dr. Burrow's forthcoming book. So, so uh, anyway, please. And again, welcome.
2: Uh, th- uh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's great seeing, uh, Todd and it's great seeing you and, uh, being on your show and appreciate your efforts on behalf of justice and right. Um, so often, um, those the words are talked about, but never practice. And <laughs> what you do is practice it 24-7. So, you know, kudos to you. What I attempted to do with that piece was, one, um, contextualize things that the, the police brutality that was visited on Tyree Nichols is not new, It's not isolated. And I wanted to use also the piece to... Uh, provide some information uh, related to the Abu Jamal case, uh, one of the quintessential examples of the totality of racism in the criminal justice system. And then I also wanted to tie it into these seemingly perennially stalled efforts uh, to get uh, anti-police brutality legislation approved on a federal level. And then I tied that in with how that was reminiscent what happened, or more specifically, what didn't happen with lynching, uh, when there were lynchings from, you know, like really from the shadow of the uh, Civil War all the way up into the mid-1960s, 200 um, measures were sent to Congress, well, approved by Congress, no, let me rephrase that, 200 pieces of legislation were introduced into Congress to try to bar lynching. Only three were approved and all three of those were killed in the Senate. And now we have a year after year, decade after decade of um, efforts to get anti-police legislation, uh, anti-police brutality legislation passed. And it just keeps getting killed uh, in Congress. You know, we just said a few months ago or a few weeks ago when everybody was, uh, I have a dream black. We support Dr. King. Well, in Dr. King's speech, before he got to that dream, he talked about the American nightmare in detail. And he specifically cited police brutality twice. 1963, 2023, we're still dealing with the issue. It's ridiculous. So those are some of my motivations for uh, writing that piece.
1: That's a really good point. I don't know. I, I certainly forget it. And I don't know. I don't remember hearing that anywhere else this point about King's reference to police violence. I'm sure others have but, but really good point. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, well, see, that's that's one of the things that, that we allow our our history uh, to be framed and, and narrated by others. And so everybody latches on to that I have a dream part and forget not only what he said before during and after those few paragraphs but also the rest of the speech and we allow that to happen i mean you know we embrace this oh you know i have a dream the content of our character versus the color of our skin and we forget the context now if the conservatives like a ron DeSantis from florida gov- uh, governor If they want to forget it, fine. But we in our community should not. But we play that game every year to our detriment.
1: Yeah, right on. Uh, Todd, feel free to jump in whenever you like. Um, But, I, I, you know, again, I really appreciate how you make these connections between the killing of Nichols and... Uh, what happened with Mumia and you sort of even go back to even before Mumia's well both of you in the collective contributions to this piece go back to even before Mumia had become the Mumia we know today uh uh in noting in his teenage beating at the hands of a police officer um his reporting trying to raise the issue of race in terms of the, uh, the the relationship between the community and the police and and the struggles around that and as you point out in this piece here there continues to be along with the other things you've already outlined this struggle to acknowledge that race is is um, involved in any of this oddly enough so as you so you can talk about the resilience of racism um uh, can we talk a little bit about what you, you what you say here uh, in in making that point? And you know, I'm happy to help you bring up uh, some of the specific examples, but that you raised, but that that point that that is still an ongoing struggle that race is involved. And now that we have five police officers who are black involved in killing Nichols, it's supposedly irrelevant. Well, why I wanted to um, contextualize and, and contrast is just to
2: show how racism is in endemic and not uh, episodic so often it's that oh well it's an individual here and it's an individual there but when you connect the dots the individual in new york is connected to the individual in philadelphia to the individual in dc chicago phoenix memphis san diego san francisco seattle we see that it is uh, uh endemic and that's the one thing what well, that's one of the many things that is so often um conscientiously excluded uh in america uh, dr king uh in 1963 you know everybody focuses on that i have a dream speech and it was eloquent and exceptional but he um uh, a book of his sermons were published that same year And there was one uh, sermon where he said that the most dangerous thing in the world is um, willful ignorance and conscientious stupidity. And when we look at police brutality, we see a willful ignorance and a, a conscientious stupidity, both at the same time. Nichols was beaten by five black police officers. Now, why did that happen? because of the racism that drives these anti-crime patrols. And let's let's be clear, the stop that led to this brutal and fatal beating was pretextual. Those police officers under the direction of their um, commander, a black woman, who was the chief of the police department there, decided that they were gonna focus on crime in the black community. And as a result of that, everybody in those communities becomes criminals. When I look here in Philadelphia, we had a mayor um, who felt that his anti-crime approach should be stop and frisk. Now, stop and frisk in Philadelphia has been proven to be ineffective since the 1950s. It was a law review article written uh, written for the University of Pennsylvania's law school in 1951, saying that that was uh, an ineffective anti-crime strategy and it disproportionately impacted blacks. We flash ahead to the uh, 2000s when a black mayor came in, a guy named Michael Nutter, he assigned his police chief, uh, then a guy named Charles Ramsey, to do stop and frisk they were stopping and frisking over 20 uh, over um, a quarter of a million people every year and 80 some percent of those were black and young black males and guess what they didn't find drugs or guns which is their primary purpose for doing it so let's continue to contextualize things in 2015 um then president barack obama as a result of police brutality um, convened a commission to study police brutality and other um, abuses uh, in policing. The co-chair of that commission was a guy named Charles Ramsey, the then police chief of Philadelphia. And one of the findings that they came up with was that they needed to stop racial profiling. Well, racial profiling is stop in France. So here the co-chair of Obama's commission was notorious for practicing the very thing that the commission said was a big problem with policing. So we played these games all the time. Michael Brown, Ferguson, supposedly the um, genesis for the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes, Michael Brown was, was beaten. Michael Brown was fatally shot. Um, But when the US Justice Department went into Ferguson and did their pattern and practice review, what did they find? That the city of Ferguson was conscientiously targeting black people for small fines, walking, uh, jaywalking, walking across the street, not cutting your grass close enough. And the town was using these fines as a revenue stream. So they had hooked up with the judge in the town to um, issue these fines. When the people didn't pay their fines or couldn't pay their fines, they were arrested. So we have a systemic effort to build the black community that the Justice Department found and did nothing about. And we see this time and time and time again. Let us not forget that before the NAACP was founded, there was a thing called the Niagara Movement, which was a black organization. And they put out a statement of principles, I think around 1900 or something, both of you uh, have more prodigious, prodigious information about black history than I. But one of the things they said is that we want upright justice in the courts. We want the same measure of essentially punishment for blacks as is given to whites and, and, and vice versa. Uh, twenty years later, when twenty thousand black people from around the world met in uh, Madison Square Garden for a uh, uh, a uh, international convention of the uh, what is it the uh, Universal Negro Improvement Association of Marcus Garvey, they issued a statement of principles, and some of those principles dealt with the injustices that blacks receive. So we in, we've been we've been going back and forth, back and forth on this all the time and nothing seems to get accomplished and that needs to stop and of course it needs to stop but we need to redouble our efforts to make sure it stops and that includes not only holding the white racist system accountable but also holding accountable those blacks who placate that system and those who don't challenge
1: it uh, with the um, consistency that we need. Right. I just want to add very quickly that that those of us in D.C. will remember the cyclical nature of all of this, that, that Ramsey had been down here, too, uh, mm-hmm. and going to Israel and getting trained and all that kind of stuff. He he was he was a part of all of that. So it's you're right. It's extra unfortunate, I guess, that he would be selected by Obama. Uh, Ty, did you want to jump in at all? Um, I just
3: am feeling my age listening to Lynn Washington talk because I remember when there would be dozens of people who would deliver this level of analysis in print, and I just miss them. I, I miss the boldness of people like Lynn Washington, who, who have the, the, uh, the courage to contextualize this in ways that empower and illuminate the black community, and to show that, that the black community is not making up its systemic oppression. So I just wanted to to thank him for doing the piece, and and you know I I push Lin to do these kinds of pieces because I tell him that the Mamiya movement desperately needs these kinds of pieces. So whenever he does one, I'm just very happy, and I was very happy to kind of tag along with this one uh, because I called him the night that the uh, footage was released, and because when I when I saw the footage of Tyree. You know, many people were talking about, you know, they thought of Rodney King. Yeah, like that. I didn't think of Rodney King. I thought of Delbert Africa.
4: It's
3: Because when you see the footage, the footage is from like the sky, right? It's, it's looking down, right? And that's exactly the footage you see of Delbert Africa getting getting beaten up. So I called when I, I bother him all the time. I call him all the time. I don't know how squite the case. I called Lynn and I said, look, Lynn, if you if you do something comparing what, you know, what, you know, in terms of Mumia or Melbourne, Africa, whatever, and, and you know you do something and compare this to Tyree, I want to be a part of it. And so I was so overjoyed that he did this piece because we're going to need this kind of piece going forward, because as you know, Dr. Ball, the, the entire Mumia movement has a very concrete focus now. And the focus is to show Sister Lucretia, right, Sister Judge Lucretia, that we're not making all this up, and that and that context is a witch, would it be, right? And that context, we have to look at justice in the context of context. It's a romance sport. So, so I think these kind of pieces help. I think Black Power Media Black. plays a great a role in helping yeah, this yeah. go on and that we only have about uh, two months left in this kind of three month review where, where Sister Lucretia Judge Lucretia's going to come to I guess a definitive statement that will decide whether we'll meet an A. gets a new trial B. gets his evidence here here heard that might uh, lead to a new trial or 3. which if this was anybody else and all of this evidence piled up would be set free So as Momia movement coalesces around this idea of pushing the judge, I just want to thank Lynn Washington again for giving us an important arrow in that particular quiver.
1: Now, right on.
5: to uh, uh, make some comments on the recent murder of Tyree Nichols um, in Memphis by I think it was five black police officers. Normally, we're used to getting this as a story of white cops killing blacks. I'll make comments on that, but um, they released the um, photos, particularly the, uh, the pictures of his um, murder, and uh, it was on last night, so a lot of you may have seen it. Very upsetting. Um, and most of the uh, footage coming from the cameras of the police revealed very little, because it was cameras that they had at their hips. You could see the camera where the policeman just pulled him out of the car and had him on the ground. And you could see a little bit of the beating, but basically uh, you saw the, uh, the stun gun that probably, along with the beating, killed him. You could just hear it. And then the rest was blank. And then a whole lot of picture of the cops wiping water off their eyes like that was all they were concerned about. But then the real revelation was in the telephone pole camera, which is a police camera. They were stupid enough to stop him where it could be recorded. And that one told the story. And what you saw, the things I wanna stress here, is African American culture on display. And some of the CNN commentators, particularly Van Jones, who has some experience with police work, treated this like it was exceptional. This is an average black family. And what you saw in his death and then the reaction of his family, and of course what you're seeing now nationwide in terms of the reaction to this murder, is a statement of the culture. And so the first thing that you saw in this you know, video was him being pulled out of the car. Now, with the police camera, the emphasis was on the beat down. But when he's pulled out of the car, he's told to lay down. He says, yes. He says, I'm compliant. You know what I mean? And he's doing everything else that he was told to do. And if you look at his history, Tyree Nichols, T-Y-R-E, Nichols, uh, Tyree was a free spirit. He was six foot three and weighed 140 pounds. And the reason he didn't have more weight is he, suffer, he suffered from Crohn's disease. And Crohn's disease prevents you from really putting body fat on and you really can't eat that much. And he was a skateboarder. At six foot three, you usually can't be a skateboarder. But because he had all of that movement in him, but he was skin and bones. And so in these big old hurley criminal behaving, self-hating black cops, one pulled him out, they could have picked him up with one hand. And so he was complying and he was going through, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. What he was showing in his response, what is basic to African American culture that when we run around talking about, oh, they took our humanity from us. We need reparations because we lost our humanity in slavery. We didn't lose our humanity. We faced inhumane conditions. It did not make us inhumane. We came out of slavery with our humanity intact with scars. You hear me? But the humanity was a key thing. And it was the humanism of this brother here that runs throughout this whole narrative. And the humanism of his family, um, um, Rovon um, Nichols, the mother, uh, or Rowan Wells, the mother, uh, who expressed the same sentiments that all black mothers almost are gonna express. And when she said, my son was a nice son, she said, I know a lot of people say their sons are nice, but they ain't all nice. My son was nice. This was a brother who had come from watching a sunset. This is a brother who skateboarded because he had an expression of freedom. This was a brother that identified with Black Lives Matter. This was a brother who was anti-police violence, but dig this, was thinking about becoming a cop to uh, be the system to change it. He was just thinking about it. And then he was talking about in these anti-police demonstrations, he was seeing cops who were getting on their knees without any weapons. And so he was looking for the silver lining. You know what I mean? This was a free spirit. This was a whole lot of black males and females in this country. You hear me? And so when he's beat and he's complying, he's realizing this ain't working. He gets up and runs. And what's he running for? His mama. His mama is only about three minutes away. He was close to his house. There was no reason for this stop, other than that he was black, because a unit has been formed inside of the Memphis police called the Scorpion Unit, and it was founded by the chief of police, Sarah Lynn Davis, who was the one that expressed all the outrage over it. But she's the one that formed this unit, which is the killer unit. And if you're gonna give it this name, Scorpion, Scorpion, Sting and Kill. And these are supposed to be some cops who are gonna stop crime. Well, this is a criminal unit and you could see it. And so in the beatdown, what you saw was the nightstick hitting him on his head and his body. Constant beatings and these guys are big. If you look at them muscle bound big brothers. And then you saw the fifth brother, you want to call him that, Just I, I could use another word for him, he comes in, runs in, and starts kicking them, kicking them on one side, and then gets on the other side and kicks them again. They're treating him like he's not a human being. This is the behavior you expect to come if you don't really want it to come, but from whites who have been dehumanized by slavery, by, by their culture, that, that see us as subhuman. But to see blacks do this, well, on the one hand, you can say, yeah, they're cops. They're trained in this. But on the other hand, this displayed a level of dehumanization that is serious self-hatred. And what I described since the late 60s, a choice between two cultures. And so what you're seeing there is uh, behavior going beyond the extreme. Those kicks at everything, hatred... To an extreme. And then you're seeing him lay there for some time while medical units are around and doing nothing. You know what I mean? So this is a statement of the reality that black folks are facing in this country. And uh, the police are like the guardians of the system. As the wealth gets concentrated in fewer and fewer hands, 1% has got close to 90% of the wealth, their answer is not jobs. Their answer is not housing. You've got rising homelessness. Their answer is not improving education. Their answer is not a just society. It's beef up on the police. When Black Lives Matter and other activists demanded cutting police budgets to put them in social programs, Have your president of the United States talking about no, but at the same time, he's voicing sympathy to the family. So, what you're seeing is savagery on display. And in this particular case, this behavior in my generation, when this behavior occurred, that would be the one tenth of one percent of blacks who on the plantation were the slave breakers that was they were used to break blacks. There was a a severe minority of them, and when blacks got a chance, they took them out and killed them. But now it's a growing number, it's still minority, but it's a choice between two cultures. These people have bought into white-itis to a degree that's devastating. And if you have a nation-state where they're running it, and I see Sister Susan Tata is their greeting sister, you know how this works in Africa. When they do a beat down there, it's straight up torture because they're doing it the same way the CIA does it, but with the glee that they have, but they're black. You know what I mean? That's elitism in Africa. And it's a special group that's been trained that way. And then with all of these kids who have been brought into uh, these child murder squads and various parts of Africa where this has happened, particularly the Congo and some other areas, these are children who are, put in a position to uh, kill uh, simply because they're being forced to. That's not their choice between two cultures, but the kind of people who are doing it, it is. So there's a message that I want to leave you with on this one. We need to support all the brothers and sisters who've been engaged in struggles against this. This is key. Black Lives Matter and affiliates, because there's a whole lot of groups that are not Black Lives Matter who are doing this and we need to take our hats off, especially to the young sisters who have been the primary leaders of this because in the breakdown of families, sisters have stepped forward to assume a prominent role uh, in organizing.
4: For you and me to devise some kind of method or strategy to offset some of the events or re- a repetition of the events that have taken place here in Los Angeles recently, we have to go to the root. We have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough, and it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people oftentimes think we're dealing in hate. We are oppressed. we are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against a common enemy. <laughs> So much so that you don't want to be around each other. No, before you come asking Mr. Muhammad, does he teach hate? You should ask yourself who taught you to hate being what God gave you. And I, for one, as a Muslim, believe that the white man is intelligent enough if he were made to realize how black people really feel and how fed up we are without that old compromising sweet talk. Stop sweet-talking it. Tell him how you feel. Tell him how what kind of hell you've been catching and let him know that if he's not ready to clean his house up, if he's not ready to clean his house up, he shouldn't have a house. It should catch on fire and burn down. arm is rising against the privileged minority of the earth. This is why I say it's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. This is an NBC News Hotline special report.
1: We're at a turning point in the history of this nation. We need to stand for freedom. There's an escalating authoritarianism and even a creeping fascism. Freedom. It's precious. If we don't fight for it, you lose it.
3: This much
4: is clear. We must rebel. This is our country. We have always lived in it. We were happy. Then you came. We have to protect ourselves. We have to save our country. We have to fight for what is ours.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am your brother, Vyamir Dees, and this is a Class War Battlefield podcast episode. You could support the show, cash at me, dollar sign CWB podcast. Same thing, CWB podcast, PayPal. Support the work that I'm doing here on your behalf. Uh, This has been a long time coming. It's a little bit late, I suppose. And when I say a long time, it's like a week. But an episode on Tyree Nichols. I want to first start off by playing the introduction and commentary to um, my first draft of this episode, and I was a little bit angry. <laughs> I was a little bit um, hopped up when I when I recorded that episode. And I decided not to use most of it, because I went all over the place. But, I could do no better than the beginning of that episode. So, I want to play that clip right now, and then I'll come back on the other side. And yes, you read the title, for those of you on the radio... Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about Tyree Nichols. Um, <clears throat> I wanna actually start off not necessarily with Tyree Nichols, but this idea of um Black Lives Matter being a genocidal call. Uh man, Tucker you know, you can hate Tucker Carlson all you want, but Tucker gets it. Tucker gets it. Tucker gets it big time. Um, yes, black people are trying to genocide white people by calling out Black Lives Matter. I mean, for Christ's sake, have you ever been into a black community? Black communities are filled with these 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 extinction centers that we keep going and raiding the, the outer areas of the suburbs, we're pulling in white people into um, the The inner cities, the urban areas we 're capturing them wherever they go, and we 're just running them right through these extermination centers and the police officers can 't do anything because they can 't find the extermination centers they 're all underground you know black people are are using these these train tracks that are just you know see most people don 't realize this most people don 't realize this let me let me break some of this down for you because as a black man i 've been to some of these places right so Um, there are abandoned abandoned subway systems all over the United States, particularly in urban centers. There's mid-sized cities, and sometimes even whole networks of towns with subway um, tunnels underneath them. Now, some of the subways are pretty crude, but in a lot of your urban centers, they have extraordinarily um, well-kept tunnels that used to be subway systems. That are not subway systems anymore. Black people have built extinction centers down there. And I'm sorry, not extinction, extermination centers down there. And that's why the police officers can't find them. I mean, you watch the news every night. You are you are undoubtedly phased. You know, you're shocked by the fact that hundreds, thousands of white people disappear every single day. When they go into the inner cities and deal with black people. And it's, it's scary, right? You know, the military is thinking about um, going on offensive against these, these urban areas to stop the brutal mass murder that's happening. The genocide of white people. I mean, we all know that Black Lives Matter... It did not come about because of any injustice that black people were feeling. Black Lives Matter, actually, and it's funny, most people do not recognize this. I've done my research, ladies and gentlemen. I've done my research. You know the first time Black Lives Matter was um uttered? So y- there's a there's a film that I found years ago, and I didn't recognize the importance of it. It was an old film from Mississippi. Shot in, I think, 1962. And uh, there was a group of people down there. They called themselves the Black Knight Riders. I know most of y'all probably have never heard of these people. They called themselves the Black Knight Riders. They were a the counterpart to the um, Knight Riders, the um, Klan Knight Riders. And they had a slogan. They had a slogan. And I'm trying to think of it right now because it's been a long time since I've seen this piece of video. It was shown to me by an elder within the black community. They had a slogan. It was similar to Black Lives Matter. Okay, it was similar to Black Lives Matter. In fact, um, um, it was something like Night Rider, Night Ride Perils, or Night Rider Matters, or something like that. But it turned into when they begin to um get into allegiance with a lot of northern-based organizations, it turned into um, uh, Black Power Matters. So it was a three-syllable thing that I completely forget, and I'm sorry, like I said, it's been years, y'all. I think the last time I saw that film was in 2002, and again, it was shown to me by a black elder. Um, And he he was explaining to me all of these different groups, that were in the South that we never heard of. Anyway, when Black Power started racing through the country, they started actually saying and chanting, Black Power Matters, Black Power Matters, Black Power Matters. And that came out of a chant that was, um Black Power Now, Black Power Now, Black Power Now. The group, the Night Riders, all right, they... They obviously opposed it. They're white. They hated it, right? The other group, their, their opposition group, formed a new group. And I apologize, but out of respect for the elder who showed me and shared this information, I can't tell you the name of that group. But one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the key core concepts that they used to promote was the extermination of all hostile whites. And black power now turned into Black Power Matters, and that all, that was uh, um, an acronym. It meant something. It meant something. So, throughout the years, this thing has been passed along from generation to generation to generation, and now we're entering a phase where, obviously, clearly, there is a mass conspiracy. There is a massive conspiracy throughout the black community to um, uh, prepare to annihilate the enemies of black people. Now for those of you who think that this is totally far-fetched, let me remind you, let me remind you, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. That's an acronym. Y'all don't even know what it stands for. Y'all don't even know what it stands for. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Just like Fox News is an an acronym. I mean most of y'all don't even realize that. Do you realize Fox News is an acronym? I, I, I should tell y'all that sometimes, right? So, no justice, no peace is an acronym. We want justice now? An acronym. Die, whitey, die? An acronym. Y'all is, y'all is so far away from the conspiracy that you supposedly understand that it's funny to me. Because black people are smarter than you. We got all kinds of... Listen, I can't even keep this up. I, I can't even keep this up. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, I'm lying. I'm kidding. I'm absolutely fabricating the garbage that you just listened to for the last, like, seven minutes. <laughs> None of that is true. Okay, let me stop. Because I was going to go for ten minutes and then come on and be like, yo. None of that is true. The only thing that is true... The only thing that is true is that Fox News is an, is an acronym. Fox News is an acronym. Y'all want to know why you should support CWB? Podcast. Again, Cash App it CWB Podcast. Again, Cash App it CWB Podcast. Hit me up, PayPal it CWB Podcast. The reason you should support me is because when I have time, I'm going to give you some crazy stuff that's going to make you think. And a lot of you literally were going with what I just put on there, right? None of that's true. I was not shown nothing by an elder, da-da-da, da-da-da. The acronyms that I brought up, all except Fox News, don't exist. But let me tell you what Fox News as an acronym is. And I give all praises to my ancestors and the Most High God who really showed me this uh, some years back. Because when you put Fox News together, Fox News, the reason why it's so, so good at what it does, when you look at it from a, numer- a numerology standpoint, those of you who are deep into numerology may or may not notice, but Fox literally is 666. Fox literally is 666. On the first, on the first line, F is the 666 letter on the second line O is the sixth letter on the third line X is the sixth letter moreover moreover if you were to look at um, news or new anyway um, that is five 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 if I remember correctly yes 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 it is 555 five, five, with a 1 at the end for S. So that numerology togetherness actually plays a role, especially when you understand the advanced use of, of numerology. You literally have Fox New, which if you take the um, F in the N, that's 11. If you take the O in an E, that's 11. If you take the S in the, uh, the X in the W, that's 11, and then you drop the 1. That's why it's so effective. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so effective because even as the Simpsons said, it's a gateway, it's a portal to evil. <laughs> you believe it or not. Anyway, so what does Fox News as an acronym stand for? The F is for fascist or fascistic. The O is for oligarchic. The X is for xenophobic. The N is for nationalist. The E is for evangelical. The uh, uh, the W is, the WS is for white supremacy. Okay? Let, Let me, let me break that down again for you, for those of you who do, who did not get it the first time, because you may not recognize what you see. The F is for fascistic. The O is for oligarchic. The X is for xenophobic. The N is for nationalistic. The E is for evangelical. The WS, white supremacist. Y'all better recognize, right in front of your face, boom. See why I didn't want to let that go? Uh, That was... uh, too important. Uh, I could not redo that for my life. You know what I'm saying. So um, I had to. I had to play it. Uh, so here's what's interesting. Um, I have not watched and will not watch uh, that horrible, horrible video. Um, I will not watch five black men egged on by a white man who you could clearly hear on the video. You can clearly see him, too, at some points. Um, take the life of another black man. There are bad people in the black community. There are bad people. Something that um, I need to talk about though is the fact that and this is going to be brief. These five men were black fraternity brothers. I don't know if they were all the same fraternity. However, Um, One of our elders in the black community, whose uh, YouTube uh, show I watch just about every week, he talked about this. They were fraternity men. They were not gang members, even though being part of a police department, there's been dispute in the black community for years. If that itself was not a gang, but I digress, they were fraternity people. This does not excuse what they did, but to understand that they are fraternity people and not gang members, which some white, some, some, some subscribers to the white supremacist myth um, has been promoting for a long time here now for this week, Oh, these, these gang members, uh, somebody called into the Tom Hartman show um, on uh, Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, talking about how these were clearly uh, members of gangs who had infiltrated the police department. Now, this black man who's called up to his show also suggested that there is a moral failing within the black community. A very um white supremacist mytho, mythos that has been prompted, prop that has been proposed for a long time that there is something wrong inherently in the genetics with Africans all throughout the world. obviously, this is nuts. Um, this same black man, I would suppose have has nothing to say about the literal studies that have found that uh, subscribers of the white supremacist myth who believe it have infiltrated law enforcement at a number of levels. A guy, uh, uh, an elder actually, who was in the military for 25 years, he told me, point blank period, they're all over the place. And he hadn't been in the military um, in a few decades. But he still has deep contacts in it. And another, another elder, black man, who was also in the military for 25 years, who just got out in 2012, told me the same thing. He was like, yeah, they're all over the place. But, you know, it's black gang members who are infiltrating police departments. Yeah. I don't think I have to tell y'all that, um, I have been experiencing a level of shock associated with this death. I saw, there was a, um, a double amputee who was also murdered. And I saw part of that video. I didn't see him get shot, but I saw him struggling against the outcome that was promised him by that cop by him. And, you know, I'm, I'm human. You know, I can take a lot of this crap. But at the same time, I'm tired of it. What makes me so frustratingly tired of it is all of the white people who do not appreciate the level of restraint it has taken black folks to not go absolutely naturally defensive against the white society. To really engage in an annihilative war. And. The funny thing is. We don't have it in us to do it. We don't. And I think that's a testament to who we are. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, that's kind of contradictory. You say, it takes a lot of energy to not go on a defensive, annihilative war against blah, 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 blah. Yes. It does take a lot of energy not to do that. Hence the reason why we shoot each other. Oh yeah, you thought when I made that statement that I was secretly revealing something to you. You thought that what I was saying was, oh, underneath the surface, black people are ready to kill Whitey. No. No. Underneath the surface, black people have absorbed the hatred that white people have dispatched towards us as an, at an individual level at a familial level, at a communal level, and in the United States at a national level, and then the whole diaspora is included. We have absorbed it, and we have we have acted out according to it. Some years ago, I was watching, uh, I believe his name is Gabramate, Um, Aaron Maté's father. Who was speaking on this concept that we talk about. Acting out. Acting out. And he broke it down. And I'd never thought about it before. It is something that you have not given voice to. That is coming through your actions nonetheless. And you may or may not be conscious of it. In a time period when the N-word became synonymous with brother, that was the 1980s, a CIA operation if there ever was one, the increase in crime rose dramatically. Obviously, it was helped by another CIA operation. The FBI turned a blind eye to it. And that was the infiltration of crack into the black community. Before you tell me that's insane, and I've had people say it, oh, that's just black people not taking responsibility. Okay, where was it produced? Where was it produced? Who had the networks to spread it across the country? Because black folks, sure enough, didn't. What do you mean? What, you think California is flooded with crack cocaine, the recipe specifically, overnight? Without any systemic help? Of course there was systemic help. Just as there is systemic help to get all those opioids into the white communities, the ones that y'all don't want to send your children to prison for, you want them to suddenly get help. But your parents, and many of you, sure had no problem locking up black folks who are suffering the same thing. Besides all that, I suppose... personal hatred associated with that time, the destructiveness from a psychological standpoint absolutely could be and should be connected to the racism that was experienced. There's something that really does happen to you when you can't Stop the pain that this society commits against you. And you don't have the type of power structures necessary to ease that pain. You see, back then, don't forget, when cracks started hitting the black community, this was in a time period right after the multiple law enforcement agencies in this country, including these vast network of police departments, had gathered together, had had conspired, I know it's supposed to only be a conspiracy if you're criminals, but they had conspired, to take down what they called the Black Radical Network. They wanted to extinguish the revolutionary feeling within the black community for, as the FBI said, one to two generations. The FBI released a memo, I think it was 1965, where they talked about preventing the rise of a black messiah and they said, we are going to stop that by extinguishing the revolutionary spirit within the black community for one to two generations. They did not go into detail how that was going to happen. But it was clear that they reached out to many other law enforcement agencies to help them with that. Because in the next Four years, they went on a killing spree. Oh, I'm sorry, law enforcement went on a killing spree. And then in the next 15 years, they went on both a killing spree and an imprisonment spree. That included exilement. What they did, though, and I don't know if they even knew they were doing this, but I would suggest that they may have, is by removing the radical elements in, a, um, in, in the black society. It's like removing the stem cells from the various systems in the body. One thing that I have always believed, I don't have the scientific evidence to prove this, but there are stem cell reactors in every single organ in the body. That is why they can actually regenerate and reproduce parts of themselves. Now, if we were to advance as a species, a human species, I think we would have ways to activate naturally those stem cell centers within every aspect of um, our body. And thus, regeneration would be possible. But that's just something that I've always believed. And by the way, somebody's going to hear that and say, wait, there's this paper. Seriously, if you know, could you please reach out to me? Because I want to know. <laughs> I want to read up on that. Um, but the, that's the role of the radical every society has radicals and unfortunately because of the the psychopathy latent and inherently deep in the eurocentric culture radicals are seen as a bad thing they actually literally um describe uh, particles in the body that do damage as radicals. Those are not radicals. Those are not radicals. Those are nihilistic particles. Nihilistic particles. They do damage. That's what a nihilist does. Usually, usually um, a nihilist does what they call constructive destruction for a purpose. That's what these particles do in the body. They are nihilistic. Radical elements are your stem cells. They are there to remind you of what is possible and what the original intent was within whatever they exist in. Radicals also defend they also defend. So there are elements within, let's take the human body again, within every organ. There are elements, specific elements, that the, that the organ has within itself to protect itself from significant damage or from specific damage. The radical is there to activate, to get into... Um, the area that is being impacted and try to eliminate the threat. Not only does it seek to eliminate the threat, but when the threat is gone, it says, this is what you originally meant for, we will heal you, so now you can resume that process. When people talk about healing, they are talking about being radical, because at the heart of radicalism is root but it is also healing. Now you may say, "Oh, that's that's just you're you're making all that up." I have been meditating on this concept, the idea that is that is hidden in the in in that word radical, for years. Not one or two, but at least ten and i would wager longer because i discovered by looking in the dictionaries that they did that white folks did not describe radicals well and in fact the way they use radicals or excuse me the way they use the word radical has changed significantly so for instance in the late 1800s, early 1900s, heck, up through World War II. They did not call right-wingers radical. Because a right-winger isn't radical. A right-winger is reactionary. They're very different things. They called leftists radicals. They specifically called um, people who constantly pointed to a tradition that was very 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 deep in 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 Europe which required a um oh, I'm, I'm I'm missing the word right now um a system oh how can I mm, it's not journeyman system but um, a system of tutelage, which you can engage in, and I know one of you is going to be like, it's this, it's this, and I'm sorry, it's just, it's like right there, but it's not there. But the system of tutelage, which could take you from not knowing something to knowing something and being able to gain function in society by that new knowledge, and thus you were able to make a living and not only make a living, but live well. You became known for it. So, for instance, a person who could put together shoes. I know today it's like, we produce tons of shoes. What are you talking about? But it used to be a skill. And you would learn it. You would apprentice. That's what I was thinking about. You would apprentice a mastery system. One of my uh, mentors right now um, is finishing up a brilliant book on... um, a, a a mentor mastery system, um, a philosophy, which I cannot wait till he releases it. Anyway, <clears throat> you would you would go into apprentice and you would learn. And some of those you know some of those networks and systems were not the best, especially for young kids. Um, some of the stories that I have read about were just horrible. You know, kids being beaten, and not just like for constructive sake, which could there ever be a constructive sake, but beaten by a person who was just a terrible, horrible person. There was accusations sometimes of rape, of, um, uh, of other abuses, of starvation, things like that. And so it wasn't the best. But, but, as time progressed, there was a move by certain networks within Europe to evolve those apprentice systems into something more modern. Those people were deemed terrible radicals. Terrible radicals, because they were pointing to a tradition that capitalism sought to get rid of. Right-wingers were not radicals. Nihilists were not radicals. So... That's an important thing to understand. In the black community, with all of those elements taken out, there was a, a vacuum which would have been filled by their work. These people were your social workers. They were the ones who stitched up the fabric within the black community. They did it so well that most white people didn't understand what they did. I I think... You know, I saw a interview some years back of this black man who was interviewed. He was, uh, I think it was from 1981. Um, he had been a police and FBI informant. And he told, he told the black interviewer about how there were other programs within the FBI, and I imagine the CIA and DIA, and for those of you who are yelling that the CIA can't um, uh, legally operate on... Man, don't give me that garbage. Do do not give me that garbage. Do not give me that garbage. Okay? I I don't believe that by any measure, that in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, and hell, up till today, that the CIA does not do domestic spying. And not only domestic spine, but I don't believe that they don't do domestic operations. What is what is to stop them from doing it? <laughs> anyway, um, he told the story of how there were tons of programs that people don't even realize existed, including something he called the Black Desk, which was meant to target certain aspects of the black community and and to shut down any revolutionary fervor there, any um radical fervor there. Not reactionary, by the way. They didn't care about the reactionary, which I think is hilarious. These law enforcement agencies care so much about the radicalism and the revolutionary nature and but they don't care about the, the reactionary nature. Now before you tell me, oh well it's because the the history of revolutionaryism is so violent Hitler was a reactionary yeah I know I know there's a lot of people doing a lot of great revision revisionism right now Um, oh Hitler was a socialist no he wasn't Hitler gave so many speeches against socialism it was funny he used the socialists to get to power and then he annihilated a lot of them he killed a lot of them imprisoned some, exiled others he was no socialist they were a tool for him the man was a reactionary, and even if you don't want to take Hitler, the number of dictators that the United States and the 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 colonial um countries in West Asia you call it Europe but you know that's an egotistic thing for them they're it, it's West Asia that they propped up throughout the world those people were reactionaries and. And every country came through and was like, oh yeah, those are great democratic people. They want to work for the people. Those people were dictators, they were reactionary, they were corporate conservatives, and they hated their own people. There are still some of those in existence, specifically in Africa presently. The reactionaries are the greatest danger to the world. Because they are rooted in an idea that they should rule. And not only that they should rule, but they should rule with an authoritarian fist. Most of your revolutionaries want a uh, society that is built on significant democratic principles. And built on a drive to bring equality to all. Now, it's funny. I know this is supposed to be about Tyree Nichols, uh, but let me break down a couple of things for you on on this idea of equality because people love to um, be like, "Oh, equality! You just uh, you want everybody to be the same." That's not what equality means. That similarity, you dumbed. I'm tired of having to explain it to people. I'm sorry, I really am, but it is frustrating as hell. People who don't read. And I've, I've run into this so often where I will talk with people on the street about something that they themselves sometimes broach with me. And they'll be like, oh, well, that's just that you want people to be the same. No, that's similarity. Nobody is saying that they want similarity. You can be equal. Which, by the way, all of you want, and I'll tell you how you want it in a moment, without being the same all of you talk about equal access or equal opportunity when you talk about laissez-faire capitalism. That's equality. The difference is you are using the idea that if you just like corporations do whatever they want as if history hasn't happened that 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 um those opportunities those op, those, those that access to opportunity and what have you. By the way, what does opportunity mean again? Anyway, moving on that that's just going to materialize. Whereas I'm telling you, I know history, most of you don't, and we've done that before and that's not what happened. In fact, that's why we got the Great Depression and then we got the New Deal. Most revolutionaries want the equality of opportunity, sure, but they also want equality of standard of living. I mean, that's, that's really what all this boils down to, is a lot of rich folks and a lot of white people want a standard of living complex that is hierarchical. They want a certain group of people to have a standard of living that is just insanity. They got all the money, they got all the possibility, they get to live great, wonderful, awesome But at the same time, they think that the people in this... I'm talking to a lot of liberals right now. Because conservatives, at least they're upfront about it. I don't got to worry about them. But a lot of liberals are fooling themselves. I watch some of these liberals, supposed progressives, and it just makes me sick. Anyway, they want the people who are doing the majority of the work, the so-called heroes that they were touting a couple of years back, you know. We can't do without our workers. They want their life, they want their standard of living to be low. And for them to be happy about it. When people talk about equality, that's what they're mentioning. You know, that's what they're actually referencing. Anyway. So, after all of that was removed, there wasn't nothing to drain off all of that poison, all of that... Those, that negativity that was flowing into the black community on the individual level, on the familial level, on the communal level. There was nothing there to help solve that. And when there was nothing there to help solve that, and this was a time period when you had a lot of black pastors um, being educated away from the black community and then coming back to the black community and talking and trying to do things that a lot of black folks were like, what do you what do you this this ain't gonna help us? And a lot of people fell into despair. And Chris Hedges talks about this. But a lot of people fell into despair and they started using drugs. And then somehow, some way, guns started flowing into the black community. We all know how that happened. Black folks ain't stupid. We know what happened. And then Literally, and this isn't hyperbole, this isn't speculation, but this has been revealed multiple times. Police departments, and I suspect the FBI and other agencies, literally encouraged gangs to fight each other. A friend of mine who spent a lot of time in a couple of cities, uh, big cities in the north, told me straight up, He goes, you know, there's a belief in a lot of these bigger cities that some of these, quote, drive-bys that are happening with these masked men who, you know, it's killing people but it's injuring a lot more or sometimes it's just spraying bullets to spray bullets. There's a big belief that this is just the police. This is cops. This is them turning up the heat, hoping that violence will happen in the black community. He told me that back in the mid-90s, and I never forgot that. The number of unsolved drive-bys that were, quote, senseless, is staggering. Some of those drive-bys, by the way, happened to kill, and again, this is what prompted him to talk to me about this, One of his friends, who was not a gang member, um, but was in college, and was a member of some some black organization that was trying to solve the problems of the inner city. And they were doing good work. He was killed. He was killed in a drive-by. And... As my friend told me back when, he was like, yo, man, it, you know, it's like, what the hell? Like, why is God allowing the good, like, the good people in our community, if they're not pimping for white people, they suddenly get killed. Why? And I didn't know. It was too innocent back then. And that's when he was like, you know, man, I'm telling you, it's a conspiracy. Like, every time we get somebody who's coming up, they murder them. And I'm like, whoa, who's this they we're talking about, huh?" No. And that's when he told me what he told me. And I ain't never forgot it. Especially when I started reading the Tell papers. And I saw that literally, literally, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies were doing that. They were literally targeting people who were doing activist work in the black community for either um, pr- imprisonment or annihilation. So, this spirit of destruction ran rampant. And that spirit of destruction wasn't interrupted because the hatred that we had experienced, instead of turning it around and beating up on white people, like white people are so afraid we'll do, Even though I really don't believe they're afraid that we'll do that. I'm starting to really believe they're not afraid that we'll do that. Instead of beating up on white people, though, we beat up on each other. We killed each other. We harmed each other. We robbed each other. We weren't going to rob white people. We weren't going to do to white people what they did to us. Because that's a stain on our humanity. We would prefer to injure each other than to injure them. I'm trying to think of her name. The woman who did the blue-eyed experiment. The blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment. Jane Elliott. When she spoke in front of hundreds of people, and she asked them, and I've seen the videos of her asking these white people, would you trade places with a black person today and not one of their hands raises and she takes them to test? See, you all know what you do. You all know the hell that you put on, on black people. You are not stupid, you are not ignorant, yet you feign it, you act like you are. This is why I say white people do not actually fear They don't fear that black folks are going to turn around and kill them or injure them. They know they ain't going to. And like a psychopath who understands his victim ain't going to fight back because periodically what the psychopath will do is turn his face around and suddenly show him some love, show that victim some love. I'm not as bad as you think I am. I'm who you think I am. I'm a good person. I just do bad things. White people ain't dumb. They know that they put all this pressure onto black people. And that black people, instead of turning it around and coming after white folks, they put it on each other. Now, there is a Right now, there is an incapacity, I think, for a lot of black folks to acknowledge this fact. But we must acknowledge it. We must acknowledge it. Because see, the way that you heal yourself, especially in a societal in a society, should I say, where injury is the rule, is you have to identify where the pain is coming from, how it's being inflicted, and then put in tools to stop that infliction from continuously happening. Now, why did I talk about all this instead of the death of Tyree Nichols? what the hell else could I say? What else could I say? You you actually, no, incorrect. Incorrect. I could say something. These black men who murdered this black man are quintessential examples of people within the African diaspora who have a colonial-imperial mindset. Some people would say that they subscribe to the white supremacist myth, and I think that's, that's, that's fair. They think white people are better. But, at the end of the day, I look at them as being the same as the colonizers. They believe that their imperial rank is more important than the colonial rank that they originally came from so they like the like the sambos who existed on the um uh the uncle tom plantation they go after the colonial rank destroying as many colonials as they could to prove that the trust that has been placed in them by the imperial forces was well placed. They have to prove themselves to the imperium. They have to prove themselves to the imperium. That's what I could say about it. Malcolm X talked about the ghetto being an internal colony, this is what he was referencing. We are at a period of time, y'all, where... What had been accepted and tolerable will no longer be accepted and tolerable. And I hope you all understand. We are in a time of justice. The arc of the moral universe is long. But it bends towards justice. We are now in that era where justice will be established. Even the Pope seems to understand that. And he literally could go any other way. But he is looking at the stars. Oh, I know for you Christians listening, Oh, God said... You ain't supposed to use black magic. How about this? Use white magic then. Because all over the, all over the Bible, there's hints of stars in astrology. You just got nowhere to look. Hit it right in front of your face and you won't even see it. You do not even see it. This man done looked at his map. He done seen the stars. He saw the cycles coming. And he said, either we change or we're going away. That's the Catholic Church. Either it changes or it's done. A lot of your metaphysical Muslims see the same thing. But because their societies are primarily under attack right now, they do not have the ability to tell that truth. To say nothing about the ancient Buddhist or Hindu or Shinto orders, who have, unfortunately, in many instances, been corrupted. But those who haven't, and there are, there, are, there are those who haven't, they see the signs, they know what is coming. And that, of course, doesn't exclude the indigenous peoples throughout the world who definitely know what time it is. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I want to thank y'all for joining me today. I know this one was a long one. I suppose it didn't help that I threw that ten minute, you know, piece in there. But there is a lot that I could have said else. But I, I you know, I think I needed to go this route. Um, again, support the work that I'm doing, you guys. Please support the work that I'm doing. C W B podcast. C W B podcast. You can hit me up on Cash App. Throw a dollar sign in front of it. C W B podcast, um, or you can also hit me up at PayPal. I'm going to work on getting Venmo set up so I can also accept there. But right now it's just C W B podcast on uh, Cash App and C W B podcast on PayPal. Thank you guys very much for being here with me until the next one. I am Vladimir Adis Ogaya big up to Baba Doctor Oba to Shaka until the next one y'all peace
4: there's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the guns to the wars that are fought in places where their business interest runs on the radio talk shows and the TV you hear one thing again and again how they USA stands for freedom, and we come to the aid of a friend. But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own, or the people who finally can't take anymore, and they pick up a gun, or a brick, or a stone, and they're alive.